Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And the title of this particular program is The New Standard, The Clash of the Titans. And I know you don't see Neil here. Neil's getting ready. He's getting prepped up and quaffed, getting a fresh cut and getting right for the show. But before we start the program, I want to wish everybody out there that listens to the program a happy holidays. I want to thank everybody for their support this year. Before we jump into the program, I do want to say that there is a little bit of a difference now in the scheduling because I'm on vacation for the next couple of weeks. We're going to move the show to 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to do it that way uh, because I just want to get up a little bit later. Um, also, uh, we're going to move the program, the post-game show, till the next day. We're going to do it on Monday. And, and the reason I want to do it on Monday is because it's because uh, of the raging pandemic. Um, you know, I, I want to protect myself and I don't feel comfortable uh, in a sports bar. So we're going to push it back until Monday, but I hope you guys still support the program. And it's just, just for safety for me. You know, I have uh, a couple of relatives that really need to be protected by my actions and my behavior. So I'm going to push it back till Monday and just to make it a little bit safe to not be in a public place where people aren't wearing masks uh, that's indoors and not very well ventilated. And before we hop into the program, I do want to say, if you want to listen to the program, go to YouTube, do a search for the new standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. Also, uh, you can find the program on all of your podcast platforms. Do a search for Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And why don't you give the gift of the show to any Steeler fan and to any football fan that you see. And last but not least, want to send a big shout out to one of our sponsors, this hoodie that I have on right now, GDVE, Good Dads versus Everybody. They do a fantastic job. I got the nice little neon hoodie. It's pretty fresh. You can do your thing. And joining us to my left, we have Neil Kulong. It looks like Neil's in a pirate shirt. I am. I am. It is. Uh, it is my moving shirt. I am in the process of moving. Go so, Buckos. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I bought this at a game. Uh, I think like six years ago, somewhere in there, quite a while back. But uh, always enjoyable to throw this on and head down there. As a, a lifelong Twins fan, I felt like I needed to fit in, so I, I bought one. Um, and it's my best kind of scrub shirt now, Lance, to be honest. You know what, Neil? <laughs> Not putting gonna... a whole lot into physical appearance as, like, I never really have in my life. And you can definitely tell that by looking at me. And I, and I told the listeners that you were coming on a little bit late to get freshly quaffed. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, There's no freshly quaffed for You me. made me out to be a liar. Certainly not and... on moving day. Got my and... carpet guy here, too. He's measuring the room as we speak. Well, I hope I hope the move goes well because it's it's a December move, and that has to make it uh that has to make it suck time too. Oh, uh, it's bad. I'm not gonna lie, it's bad. <laughs> yes, moving is a I, terrible, terrible thing. Yes, I would imagine. And um, 
you know, last but not least, Neil, uh, before we hop into the program, I know you talked about the twins and uh man, when you when you uh when you get to Minnesota, man, if you see a uh, a twins, a prince, anything prince twins t shirt, anything, yeah. grab it for me. Right. Uh, we'll do you know. You know, I thought that was uh, the the best gear swag that a team ever did in terms yeah, of was sweet. Uh, the print stuff Prince was night. just yeah, the, the print stuff twins, was, yeah, those are those are yeah. hot. I don't know how often they're going to do that. There's there's yeah, licensing issues that come with it, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I grew up about 15 miles away from uh, Prince's studio, uh, Paisley Park, out in Chaska, Minnesota. Um, he had. Uh, he opened it up to like area teenagers on the weekends. Sometimes there was a stretch of time there, like that 16 and up uh, DJ dance party nights. Um, that was the place to go. You were super cool if you were able to get into that, which meant you had a driver's license at 16 because they didn't take anything else. You, you had to have uh, a state ID to, do, to, to get in. But the times that I was able to get in there, that was the place to be. That was a lot of fun. Very, very cool place. Um, yeah, he was a great guy. Uh, you know, nobody in Minnesota would, would speak ill of him at all. It's a terrible loss. One of the best ever. Yeah, definitely. Prince is my second favorite musician to uh, Stevie Wonder. But let's jump into the program. And I want to just get your comments and thoughts on last week's Vikings game. Was there any uh, any number or anything else after you did a rewatch that you wanted to jump into before we shift gears to the Titans game? I would say number one, that was, in, in all fairness, and I've had a couple days to, to review this, that was, in all fairness, the worst run defensive performance I've ever seen in the NFL. I have no idea that that first half was, you know, <laughs> somebody asked me on a radio spot earlier this week, um, you know, have you, have you heard Mike Tomlin react like that after a game? Uh, he was particularly heated, but he wasn't even 10% of what he could have been. That was so bad. Um, worst run defensive performance I've ever seen Steelers or otherwise, they, they were that bad. Um, it, it was, it was frustrating to watch to, to put it mildly. I don't know how much of that you can fix, but, uh, it, it's pretty clear and obvious what their problem is. Um, good on them for, for kind of getting something figured out and trying to, to regress to the mean a little bit there by the end. But, um, it, it's most of their, the last five games have been spent watching running backs get in the secondary and, and just go from there. So they, they should know what the problems are. Um, when you're excited about getting Isaiah bugs back, you know that you've got a problem. And I, I think that's where they are now. You know, when I looked at the game again, um, and I looked at some of the numbers and some of the personal performances on a negative side, one number jumped out to me. I may have said it on the show last week. That was the 14 completions for 36 points. I've never seen anything like that. Um, and this is a game in which a guy had two interceptions and only had a 63.4 quarterback rating. I mean, he was 14 of 31, which is not good for only 216, but they still had, and they still had 36 points. It was terrible in the second half. So I've never seen something like 14 completions for 36 points. And half of those went to Justin Jefferson, but I want on a positive tip. I want to flip the coin on a positive tip. And this is something that I think, Steeler fans can hang their hats on for the future for the post Ben Roethlisberger era is in that game. You did have three of their younger players play some of their best games. 
um, you saw Najee Harris average 4.7 yards per carry and actually have a run of 23 yards, show a little bit of burst and a, a, a little bit of elusiveness. They had 20 carries for 94 yards. I thought that was something that you want to see uh, because I know me and my dad have been going back and forth as to which prospect I like more, Javante Williams or or uh, Najee Harris. And I, I like Javante Williams more. We keep going back and forth. You know, I, I like a guy with a little bit more juice. But let me jump into another number. And this guy got ripped. And we're going to talk about this guy in terms of some, some comments that Mike Tomlin made about player development. Chase Claypool had eight receptions for 93 yards on nine targets. Uh, this was one of his better games. I mean, he made actually made contested combat catches in this game and did some of the things that I think the coaching staff likes and the coaching staff is looking for from him, although that was overshadowed by that bonehead play late in the game. But you did see him make some of those plays in which you want him to make moving forward as a young piece for this football team. And last but not least, you know, Deontay Johnson played his Deontay Johnson game, and we did see a James Washington sighting. Unfortunately for the Pittsburgh Steelers, all of that got overshadowed by Claypool's antics at the end of the game and that terrible first half. Um, so those were kind of my thoughts of the game that what you really saw was an illustration of an average football team. An average football teams play like the Steelers play. There are peaks, there are valleys, and then there's that in between, that floodland that's sort of kind of flat, right? And so you're going to experience a lot of variance in a team that's six, six, and one. But let's jump to the Steelers versus Titans game. Let's close the page on that Vikings game. And Neil, break it down for us in terms of the injury report. How are the Steelers looking from an injury perspective, and how are the Titans looking from an injury perspective? Um, I'll be honest. I am not fully up to, to date with the Titans. Um, most of the reason for that is, um, in case you haven't noticed, and I'm sure that you probably have, there's been um, something of a complete and total global pandemic breakout as far as uh, NFL players go. And yes. they don't give you a clean, easy list of uh, COVID protocol players. Uh, as far as the uh, physically injured players, the non-COVID positive players, whatever we want to call them, um, it, I don't think we saw anything that we normally wouldn't have. Uh, Joe Hayden was able to return to practice on a limited basis on Tuesday. Um, that That's new. He hasn't played in, what, three games now, I believe. Uh, Zach Banner did uh, miss on Tuesday, however. He was not previously um, scheduled to miss. The team practiced um, earlier uh, the dates on this are wrong. Sorry, it caught me for a second. Um, cool. Thanks, man. You're all right. Carpet guy is leaving. He says hi to everybody. Um, Kevin Rader did not practice. I don't know how much Kevin Rader has really played. He's been a special teams player for the most part. You did get TJ Watt on a full participation basis, which is good. Uh, you did see Isaiah Bugs go from full back to do not practice, did not practice on uh, Tuesday. So, um, not good, I think, overall for the Steelers. You, you get some things here and there, but not a whole lot. Alex Highsmith uh, went from limited to full. That's good. Roethlisberger was limited. Uh, I'm not sure if he wouldn't have been limited otherwise. Um, I don't know how much he's really going to practice this time of the year. Robert Spillane does look like he is on the path to come back. So um, it, disheartening to see Banner not practicing again, 
uh, with a knee injury is what they designated it as. Uh, I'm not sure long-term what that means outside of what we probably already know and that Zach Banner is not going to be on this team next season. Uh, Isaiah Bugs missing is probably the, the, um, the biggest issue I see on here simply because, well, the guys that they have replacing Isaiah Bugs uh, aren't very good either. And uh, Montrevious Adams is one of the guys on the COVID protocol list. Now, the NFL did change that this week in saying that players can return after uh, one positive test if they are vaccinated and asymptomatic. What that means is they have a better chance of being able to return uh, within the week because you have to get tests 24 hours apart. So uh, if he tested positive on Sunday, negative on Monday and negative on Tuesday, he would be back to play. Um, that leaves it open for uh, possibly today, later this week. Uh, we'll we'll see uh, where they go with that. You know, Neil, for 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 that in terms of the two twenty four hour the two tests uh, negative within, I guess two twenty you know two twenty four hour periods or two days. That's always a crapshoot because I, I I know individuals who did not test negative uh, for COVID for weeks. Um, so it, it, it's, it's interesting. And we'll talk about uh, the NFL in terms of w- what they're doing in terms of COVID later in the program, because it's very interesting that you can have a team with 20 positive cases uh, play a football game. And so uh, we'll, I, I, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I think you've seen I think uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Let me jump into a little bit of the Titans injury report. I pulled it up here and I won't jump into it too much because there's not really uh, too many significant guys here. Uh, One of the names that stands out is that Roger Saffold, the third didn't participate um, in practice on Thursday. Um, The guard for them um, that that's pretty significant. Um, Jack rabbit uh, Jenkins didn't participate as well. Um, They're listing some of the guys here as like illness. So you really can't tell. Um, Derek uh, Robinson. There's, there's a flu bug if it goes around too. Keep that uh, in mind. Yeah. So, uh, but it does look like um, Julio Jones and AJ Brown um, are slated uh, to play because they're not on the injury report, uh, which is not bold good news for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But it looks like all their significant players are slated to go, and so fans, make sure you keep an eye on that. Let's, let's add in two, Lance, before we get too much further. One, Alvin Bud Dupree was activated off their injured reserve list this week. He has not been put onto the active roster yet, but it seems as if that is uh, the, the plan. We'll probably hear on that today, I would imagine, um, at some point. So Bud Dupree will be able to make his homecoming game. That is all coming courtesy of my boy and former uh, Eagles writer, Teron Davenport, who covers the Titans for ESPN now. You should definitely check him out. Great guy. Uh, good reporter. We're, we're, uh, we're still excited to, to be partnering with him. He told me that they expect Bud to, to play on Sunday. So I was going to um, ask you about that. Good, good, and, that good and bad in that sense. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I, I looked up the injury report earlier this week and I did see him on IR. And I thought it was going to be an interesting storyline, you know, if he played because, you know, if there's a team that has average tackles uh, that you want to get, you know, you want to come back home and, uh, you know, do the bud dance, um, you know, you might want to go up against Dan Moore. You know, that might get your stats up. 
a little bit and, and check the core stats board. up this year. everybody's <laughs> stats up. But let's switch reels from the injury report. And thank you, Neil, for, for breaking that down for us. Uh, let's jump into an analysis of this game. And let's take a look at it from uh, Tennessee's offensive strengths or Tennessee's offense against the Steelers' defense. Um, let me give you a number. Maybe, and this maybe will point you in a certain direction in terms of how you think this game will look and how it will go. We'll jump into the predictions afterwards. The Tennessee Titans are number one in the National Football League in rushing attempts. They rush the ball 32 times a game. The Steelers right now are 30th in the National Football League. They're giving up 140 rushing yards per game. And Steeler fans, hold hold your chest, hold your heart. I don't want to give you a heart attack right now. The Steelers are giving up five yards a carry, which is worst in the National Football League. Let me say that again. Five yards a carry. And when I read that stat, you know, I didn't feel as bad when it was 4.8. You know, something about five it being you know five plus five is ten half a first down somehow like the five that number resonated more in my head than 4.8 as if 4.8 isn't dreadfully bad as well something about five five is worse than you know just in my mind it sounds worse than 5.1 just because it's half a first down but five yards to carry Never seen that in my life. Hopefully, I will never see that again. But those are some of the numbers I think that give a nice picture of what I think will occur in this game. Tennessee will run the football. The Steelers will try and struggle to stop it. So how do you think this game plays out? And and I want to get a a specific schematic. I'm going to ask you a specific schematic question as well in terms of how the Steelers need to approach the Tennessee Titan running game. Here's the thing. Um, Stats are very deceiving in in a lot of ways. Um, We've talked about this in this segment, Lance, just because one team does this well or that well does not mean the other team is automatically going to do it. This, however, is the unfortunate uh, clash of one team that really wants to run the ball and another yes. team that doesn't stop it particularly well. So um, on paper leading into it, you think that Tennessee would want to, you know, ground and pound and do their thing. Um, even if you are that successful running the ball, you do that in chunks. Running is not a literal yards per carry thing. Um, while I, I, I agree a thousand percent with everything you said about five yards per carry, Five yards per carry is you don't stop anybody for losses and they go off for big chunks, which yes. is what the Vikings did. So the Steelers absolutely have earned uh, that average. That's a that's a legitimate average. The Titans are a great schematic running team. Derrick Henry is a great player. I'm not taking anything away from him. But just because Henry is not there does not mean they can't run the ball. They can. Um, it's not perhaps going to be as dominant. Deontay Foreman is is a veteran player. Uh, he's not Derrick Henry. No one pretends that he is, but he is getting the job done uh, on on a lesser degree. He's for got juice at this point. He, he's got he's a little capable, juice. He's capable of playing. Um, yes. we, we've seen some good things with them, but 
and that this is the the classic argument uh, within Pittsburgh right now, especially when it comes to the the inane and pointless Najee Harris versus James Conner debate. It is to a degree about your scheme, and it is to a degree about the runner. The Titans in this case have a capable running back and a good scheme. They have a good offensive line. They're disciplined. They're well-trained on that front, and they like doing it. So the the issue for Pittsburgh is going to be um, winning those early downs, which is really hard to do against a good zone-running team like the Titans are. It's hard to stop a zone run, even when you know it's coming. It's really calling like five different plays. If you have a running back that can read it, and you have blockers that that are able to to win their assignments. And I'm glad you brought so, that up because that that's going to be my my follow up question to you is, you know, how do you effectively w- what's the best approach to attack an outside zone running team? But but outside go ahead zone defense defense against a zone is 99.9 percent about discipline. Uh, your run fits. You probably heard that a lot this following the Vikings game. The run fits of the Steelers. What that means is guys are where they're supposed to be. Every defender is assigned a gap. Okay. When you are gap sound, your guys are where they're supposed to be and they're not easily moved from those points. The fewer openings there are in those gaps, the harder it is to, to run through the line. So the Steelers got blown out of every gap they had last week against the Vikings. And Dalvin Cook could have picked four of them to run through for 30 yards. It wasn't going to be a challenge for him at all. Tennessee, in in running zone, what that means is you're moving as a unit on the offensive line. And the idea is to get across the face of the defender in front of you, which is to pull him uh, in the direction that you're going. They have to defend that gap, but, but the runner is moving. So they're following the runner. The idea is if you are not disciplined as a defender and the offensive lineman is across your face, at some point your inside is going to open up and the runner is going to cut back behind you and and run up the field. Titans do that very, very well. And and Freeman can run inside that kind of a a scheme. Now, you don't do that every play. Uh, Well, Mike Shanahan did with Terrell Davis and Terrell Davis went for 200 yards or 2,000 yards and is in the Hall of Fame. They ran a ton of zones. Uh, the Titans in, in modern offenses today don't run uh, one style exclusively like that, but the Titans are a very good zone running team. It requires you to move laterally, which is not what you want to do as a defensive lineman. If you're moving uh, laterally, horizontally across the line, you're not pursuing anybody. You're not cutting off an angle. So the runner has that angle. And as they're running, if you can imagine, I wish I had a telestrator right now, if you can imagine a diagonal line if everything is moving toward you on a diagonal line, as soon as that line that's in front of you over pursues, you cut back. That's what a zone running scheme is aiming to do. And the Titans do that well. Uh, Foreman can read those those gaps in um, – gaps is the wrong word. He can read the creases in the defense if they're not disciplined. If one guy goes too far, if he doesn't go far enough, there's going to be a hole there with a lineman blocking the one guy that, that's able to make the play. So from a, a schematic standpoint, the Titans create problems against a defense because it's it's a hard scheme to block if you do it well. It's just a really hard scheme to run. You need to have the right guys doing it. They have to be very smart, very disciplined themselves. And you gotta be patient. And you got to have Steelers, patient runners. Yeah, the, the Steelers with Le'Veon Bell, with a good offensive line, with Mike Munchak uh, uh, coaching that line, with Todd Haley calling the plays, they ran zone particularly well. Uh, outside zone is more of what I'm talking about, and that's what you'll see with the Titans. Inside zone is very similar. You just don't bounce it out. You're going inside between two gaps, 
and forcing uh, defenses to follow where you're going. The Titans can run inside zone and outside zone, and that that's that's going to be difficult. Uh, we saw the Vikings doing that a bit. So I would imagine the extra uh, rest and the extra preparation that the Steelers had, a large part of that was spent on uh, ramming feet up hind parts as far as being disciplined uh, within your gap, within your assignment, and hopefully uh, making sure uh, Devin Bush and Joe Schobert know they're going to have to be physical in this game if they're going to stop that run. Let me ask you, would you, in terms of uh, of defending, and we've seen in the past that you know, outside zone has been a particular issue for the Steelers. Uh, we, we've seen teams have some success with it. Uh, how would you attack outside zone? Would you, would, you, would, would you try to be very aggressive and try to get upfield and push offensive linemen upfield and force a running back to make his decision in terms of the cut, make him cut to a certain area where you are gap sound? Would you, would you play it more aggressive or would you slow play it and try to stay on to stay on your blocks and make sure your secondary defenders are gap sound where you could just think, slow play it after a while. You have to force him. He has to make a cut at some point and then you're there or you try to be really aggressive and get upfield and really try to be disruptive um, in, in terms of those line, those linemen in unison moving down the line of scrimmage. By the way, you're explaining it. I would say slow play because here's why. Uh, one issue that it often doesn't get talked about when it comes to inside linebacker play, the defensive line and the offensive line, in many cases in the, in the game of football, are reversed as far as what you think their priorities are. There are times in which the defensive line is blocking the offensive line from right. getting out of where they are. Absolutely. That's huge in zone. Okay. Absolutely. There are variants in zone running in which let's just say, imagine this again. It, you know, the the telestrators are Neil is drawing. Let me, this up let, in let, let me interrupt you real quick just to, to to maybe explain a little bit of what you're saying. So, listeners, if you've ever seen a defensive lineman hold an offensive lineman, <laughs> by the way, you see a lot of that. <laughs> so, what they're doing to Neil's point of blocking is they're holding the offensive lineman so the offensive lineman can't climb to the second level and locate a, line, a linebacker who's trying to flow down a line of scrimmage and make the play. He's literally blocking the offensive lineman so the offensive lineman can't move upfield. And that is what the Steelers would need to do. Um, the problem is it's hard to do that unless you have a lot of guys on the line. So if you load up there, what you're looking at is a, a, a good passing team as well in the Titans. The Titans are third in the AFC for a reason. They're a good football team. Uh, Ryan Tannehill can throw the ball they're able to read uh, what a defense is going to do and kind of pick what you know they can exploit. But as far as uh, specifically defending zone, you look at it like this. If you're a defensive lineman, the ball gets snapped. The first thing you're reading is what they're going to do with it. Are they going to run or are they going to pass? If you see the lineman move horizontal to your left or your right, you have to react and get in front of them. The offensive lineman's goal is to get across your face. What that means is I am carrying you in the direction that I want you to go in. So if Cam Hayward is down and he's looking at the action going to his left, the say it's a guard, is jumping to his left shoulder, okay? That indicates to him it's a zone run. Hayward can't just jump in behind him. Otherwise, that gap is wide open to wide his open left. To his he's left. got to Absolutely. carry carry the defensive lineman or the offensive lineman 
along with him. And you shuffle your feet, you stay horizontal and flat. And on top of that, if you see that the offensive lineman is going straight out from that angle, he's trying to get to the linebacker. So you know that's the direction that they're trying to run in. He has to prevent that too. So the assignment for a defensive lineman against running zone is very difficult and it happens very quickly. It's hard to, to diagnose that and you have to be right. If the offensive lineman gets out to Devin Bush, you guys complain all the time about Bush not making plays or taking on blocks. Devin Bush is 250 pounds on a, on a heavy day. You know, he's probably a lot lighter than that. Average offensive guard is 320 pounds. He's not, he's not beating that block. It's a guard. Okay. The defensive lineman can't allow him to shoot out to get to Bush. If he gets to Bush, Bush is out of the play. There's absolutely no way that's going to work. And Bush is the guy that has to pursue, find the crease where the running back is going. And that's his gap. So he has to defend the cutback. He has to be free to do that. So the, the key thing in, in holding up front a defense is not shooting in and trying to make the play as a defensive lineman. You have to hold up at the line of scrimmage and make sure that the, the offensive lineman can't shoot out and get to the linebackers, get to the second level, whoever would be free in order to make the tackle on the running back. I think the other thing that's difficult in defending Tennessee is with their zone running game, they also have different actions off of it. You'll see Ryan Tannehill with boot actions. Um, you know, a lot of you got a lot of play action. Uh, they dress it up pretty nicely. And on top of that, you have the athletic, athletic ability of Ryan Tannehill to make plays with his legs. And I think I've asked a couple of people about this. And, I, and so I think even though they don't have Derrick Henry, it's like you said, it's a very well-schemed offense. They're not scoring as many points, obviously, with with uh, without Derrick Henry. And I think that's also because Julio Jones and A.J. Brown have been hurt and have been a little inconsistent. But you're going to see outside zone. You're going to see a little bit of power. You're going to see a little bit of duo. You're going to see boot action. You're going to see a lot of play action stuff. There's a lot of things for the Pittsburgh Steelers to defend. But they have played Tennessee enough, even last year, where I think they have a good idea of what it looks like and the the team has an idea of what it looks like and what they need to do uh let's look at one advantage in this game from a defensive perspective that i think the steelers do have the steelers are second in the national football league with 37 sacks and the titans have given up 37 sacks ironically which is 28th in the national football league i think one of the issues there and i think it was critical that joe hayden is practicing is because the Steelers have struggled minorly when Joe Hayden has not played, is that when you look at the Titans, off their offensive line is just okay in terms of pass protection as illustrated by the 37 sacks. I think the Steelers have an advantage there. But I think we know what this game is going to look like on the offensive end for the, for the Tennessee Titans. They're going to try to pound the rock. They're going to try to pound the rock and get stuff going off of play action. I think they're going to try to hit their tight ends, and I think they're going to take some deep shots to Brown and Julio Jones because this is one of the first times that they've had both of those guys healthy. And I was impressed by Deontay Foreman. I thought he had a little bit of juice. You know, I didn't think he was a bad backup. He's averaging 4.4 yards to carry. I thought he ran the ball well against New England. And they have several running backs that have a little bit of juice. I think they're a physical football team as well. So I think it's going to be a pretty good game. Let's switch to... The opposite side, the Steelers defense, excuse me, Steelers offense against the Tennessee Titans defense. And this was a little bit harder for me. 
because I tried to look at it in terms of what do you do well and what can you hang your hat on in terms of an offensive game? What do you do well and what don't they do well? I don't know if the Steelers do anything well on offense um, other than <laughs> Ben throwing the ball to Deontay Johnson. I don't, I don't know what they do well on offense. Have you figured out after – what is this going into the 14th game? Is there anything that this offense does well? No, not especially. Um, I know this. What we've seen, and we discussed this last week, what, what we've seen from the Steelers um, is, is a pretty substantial amount of stat padding offense. Uh, a lot of times, the exception of the Bengals game where it just never came together. Um, the Ravens game was a, a, a tightly contested game, but they fell behind huge uh, against Minnesota and uh, Los Angeles. And they were able uh, to get back into those games. And in, in, a large part of that was um, big plays that they were able to make late in the game when they were way behind. Um, not enough in both of those games. But the, the reality is it, it, it's a team that can't stay on schedule. Um, they don't run the ball well. Uh, I know we all love Najee Harris and everything. He's not an exceptional player. He's not showing to be an exceptional player. Um, the best thing they have is exactly kind of what you said. Uh, it, it, I think Ben is throwing well enough um, this year, late in the season, like he didn't last year, that they're able to get away with a thing or two. And Johnson is on the verge of becoming a, a, an elite level receiver. It's going to be a bit yet, but you're getting great play out of him. Um you highlighted the, the positive stats from Claypool, I would say. Well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, it, it, the way that Claypool <laughs> – Claypool in that game cost them multiple drives, and the 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 boneheaded nature of what he did at the end of that game, it, 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 it takes away everything else. But the reality is Claypool is capable of making plays. He just – he doesn't do it particularly often, but he will. I think they give him probably more targets than, than he's exploiting at this point in his career. I think he should be better. But they're able to do a thing or two on offense. They're not a good offensive team. Right now it is still taking them far more plays than it should to score um, in any way, and that's with a really good place kicker as well. Um, offensively, unless they fall down by four scores and the defense basically lets them have as many yards as they want, and, and create the game to be, you know, red zone offense versus red zone defense, they're not going to do much. Uh, basically, in a, a tighter game between the 20s, you can't really count on them to do much. They're not a mismatch-laden offense. They don't have a whole lot of advantages. Their line isn't particularly good. Their quarterback is, is smart. He makes good decisions with the football. Doesn't have a great arm. They're not able to do a whole lot of things uh, in their passing game because of that. They have to do a lot to score. And we've seen time and time again this season that bogs them down. They're going to have uh, minus drives. They're going to have three and outs. They can't dominate an opponent. Um, it, it's interesting. If, if you happen to watch the the, uh, the Chargers-Chiefs game last night, you look at two vertical, high-power, dude-laden offenses. And then on Sunday, you'll watch the Steelers. <laughs> so you can see the difference uh, pretty clearly between them. There are guys on both teams who can take over games and the Steelers don't really have anybody like that at all. So asking how good uh, they are or what they do well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a null question. They don't really do anything particularly well. Although I do like the way Deontay Johnson's games coming along. 
you know, when you don't do anything well, I, I, you know, as a former coach, not a football coach, but I was a baseball coach. I coached varsity baseball for three years. And what Neil is basically saying, when you don't do anything well, that's like coaching a baseball team when you have no pitching staff. There really isn't – when you don't have any pitchers, you can't win games. It's very hard to win games. When your pitching staff is not very good, you just don't know what type of performance you're going to get. And I think part of the issue of the Steelers not having a very good offense is they don't have a very good offensive line either. So it's really hard to formulate game plans around anything. And we often it's talk about – it's not much you can do. There's, we often talk about identity. Without a good offensive line, it's almost impossible to form any identity offensively. And I say it would be impossible. So there's been a lot of criticism of Matt Canada and Matt Canada's offense. When your offensive line is that bad and you have an immobile quarterback, you can't really run an offense. It, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of hodgepodge. Maybe this will work. Maybe you're kind of just throwing it against the fan and seeing it. And that's not to say that they aren't game planning and trying to find issues with Tennessee Titans defense to take advantage of. It's just very difficult to get to it. When you look at the Steeler offense and what are some of the areas you think they may attack? Um, you know, Tennessee Steelers are, you know, only averaging about 3.7 yards per carry. I know they want to run the football, but they don't do it consistently. You know, what are some of the areas? Because when I looked at Tennessee, Tennessee didn't look great defensively. Simmons is a monster. The Steelers will have to, uh, you know, block him effectively. Bayard is very good. You got Bud Dupree coming back. They just look pretty sound. Played a lot of too high shell. Really tried to limit the big pass or the big play in the passing game. They look particularly physical. They look pretty fast. They didn't look great. It's not like you're watching a great defense on tape, but they didn't look bad. It looks like a defense that the Steelers, if they were a better offense, might be able to take advantage of. Where do you think the Steelers attacked this rate? Excuse me, not this Ravens team, but this Titans team. Where do you, if, what if, if anything, they, they need to neutralize Simmons. You touched on him. He's, he's an all-pro level player, in my opinion. Uh, he, he's a force. Um, easily one of the best interior defensive linemen in the game. He is a, a problem-creating defensive tackle. Um, Steelers do not have the, the power up front to really stop this guy. They're going to have to get him to move. Um, again, it's kind of the same concept of zone. When you are able uh, to get your, your opponent on the defensive line to move laterally instead of vertically, you're putting them at a disadvantage. Um, Isaiah Simmons is good enough of a player that he can still make plays out of that. He's very quick, very athletic, uh, and a, a big, strong dude. But the reality is, if he is moving away from the pocket, either you're pushing him backwards or he's forced to move left or right, he's going to be neutralized. That's how you do that. But at the same time, uh, he wouldn't have the numbers that he has and the acclaim that he has right now if it was easy to do that. So, they, they need to find a way to get him to move a bit more. Um, the Steelers do not run zone really at all. They do some inside zone, but really they're a gap running team, probably above anything else. I don't, they're not going to be able to go hat on hat against him for sure. And double teaming him is, is going to be tough as well. Everybody double teams him, and he, he still makes plays. So they're going to have to find a way to get past him uh, in order to do anything. Beyond that, you mentioned cover two shell. There are ways to, to be cover two. Uh, if you're able to neutralize a, a pass rush, which is what the Titans have. They're a good pass rushing team. That's where they want to win games with their front seven. 
but they have a very good secondary as well. Byard is, is an all pro level player, uh, big time playmaker, ball hawk. He knows how to go and get it when, when it's up there. Your deep game is is going to you know face a, a good amount of challenge, and that's exactly what Mike Rabel wants. He wants to play that game in the the line of scrimmage to, to ten yards. He doesn't want deep stuff. He doesn't want to get beat on big plays. Um, they were as bad as they were last year, despite being fairly good, because they couldn't stop big plays. Now they can, and they're they're a good football team. So uh, offensively, the way it looks on paper to me, Lance, and from what I've seen of the Titans, the Steelers' offense is going to struggle. Um, you want to say very simply, well, you got to control the line of scrimmage. You got to run the ball, all the cliches. They're not going to be able to do that. So you're going to need a Herculean effort from your quarterback and you're going to need him to have enough time uh, to, to pick a defense apart down the field. Ben is capable of doing that. Um, I, I think they have the, the, the weaponry offensively to make a couple plays here and there. It's just not going to be, you know, 50 yards down the field. They're not going to be able to take anybody over the top and you know, we shouldn't expect them to. They haven't done that all year. So they need to be able to control. They need to be able to, to hang on to the ball and give uh, free passing lanes to their quarterback who's upright throwing the ball on target. Um, that's a tall order. It's going to be tough. I think this is another 17 to 20 point-ish type of game for, for Pittsburgh's offense. You had talked about plays and, and, and running a lot of plays uh, to score points and just looking at this Steeler offense. And there's an interesting stat that's collected on teamrankings.com. And it's an easy stat to compile. It's just yards per point. And, you know, that magic number that the Steelers have talked about for years is 30 points. The Steelers at this point in the season are averaging one point for every 15.7 yards. Let's just round it up to 16. For the Steelers to score 30 points, they would have to literally get 472 yards. And so what that says is, you know, they don't have an explosive offense. As when you look at the offenses, and their offense isn't efficient. When you look at the offense of last night uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chargers, those are explosive offenses. That's what you want to be, and the Steelers aren't that. I agree with you. I think this is going to be a very physical game, but I think it's going to be a tight game. Because I, I think Tennessee has the advantage on both lines of scrimmage. Um, I think their quarterback is better. I think they have the better wide receiver options as well. And I think they run the ball better. And the games between the Steelers and Tennessee have, have been really tight. I think these two coaching staffs do a good job of countering what the either staff wants to do. Uh, and I think this is going to be a tough game. So let's jump into predictions. What's your prediction for this game as the Tennessee Titans travel to Heinz Field this Sunday? I agree with you in the sense that I think it's going to be lower scoring. Um, Tennessee's offense is still uh, productive um, to, to some degree without Derrick Henry. They're not quite as dominant uh, as, as they probably were with him. And you're seeing that reflected in their passing game, though they've, they've been beaten up at the receiver position. Um, I'm bummed to, to the sense that A.J. Brown might be my favorite non-Steelers player in the NFL. He's a phenomenal receiver. I love everything about that guy. Uh, they haven't had him full go uh, all season. I'm not sure exactly what his status is now. Um, might not be on the injury report, but he's been hurt. Um, I, I don't even know if he played uh, recently or not. They were just on by a little bit ago. Maybe he had some time to heal up. But I think he played last week. I watched a couple they, of their games. I think he played. I think the last game I really saw him against was – 
you know, maybe the Houston game, but I, I do think he took some snaps last week. Um, he's a phenomenal player. I really love everything about him. Um, great player, going to be highly paid here very, very soon. He's a tough guy to beat. Um, but if, if he's not in there, if they don't have that that pop at receiver, I'm not sure how explosive they're going to be either. They do have a good deep ball quarterback. And it, Ryan Tannehill is capable of, of making plays deep down the field. And they're aggressive. They always have been. That hasn't changed under under Todd Downing from Arthur Smith, uh, who went on to, to coach the Falcons right now. Uh, they're, they're capable of doing some things. I'm not sure how much they're going to be able to do that against a, a Steelers defense playing at home uh, that's coming off a little bit of a rest. And I promise you they're going to be highly motivated after the beating that they took last week. You're going to see a much better performance out of Pittsburgh's defense in this game. Uh, I think it's going to be close. I think Tennessee, though, just probably has a little bit more. It, it's really hard to bet against the Steelers at home in this game. Um, I, I'm thinking like 23 to 20. Uh, Titans. I could see that going either way, though, to be honest. You know, you took my score 23-20. I'm thinking 23-20 Titans as well. Um, I think the difference in this game will be Simmons. Um, I think Simmons will make a play, make more more plays in this game to really neutralize uh, the Steelers' attempt to run the football. I think the Steelers' defense will be better in stopping the run, but I think there will be a few opportunities where they're a little bit inconsistent and, and Tennessee will get a few things going. And I, I, the factor of Ryan Tannehill's legs, I think, will also be a big deal in this game where he ekes out a third down. Um, he runs for a, a first down somewhere where his legs will make a play late in this game um, to turn a tide for Tennessee and they get out of here with the win with the late field goal, something like that. Uh, but I do think it's going to be close. Tennessee is not very explosive, and they have been struggling to score points. It was a workmanlike performance that they had against Jacksonville last week where they kind of just beat Jacksonville in the stench of Urban Meyer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, um, that was a mistake Jacksonville did. And, um, you know, if you're a gambler, hopefully you took advantage and implemented what I always tell my brother, the Jacksonville Jaguar betting strategy, which is, is always <laughs> – Always bet against the Jaguars and give the points. You, know, you pretty much will cover the entire year. But uh, I also think that the Steelers, uh, the Titans will come to Heinz Field and win a very close game. I think it'll be a very competitive game. And it's a game that also could turn on turnovers. So if you turn the score on, uh, yep. you turn a TV on on Monday and the Steelers won the game, I wouldn't be very surprised either. It's the I think, X factor in this one. Yeah. And, 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 and hang on to the ball. Yeah, and, and and I think I would definitely think Tennessee would win more comfortably if Joe Hayden wasn't playing. I think that's a great sign. If Joe Hayden can play this Sunday, um, I think it's critical because, you know, some of the young corners have been getting beaten up. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of candy bars out there, but they're, but they're progressing. But let's jump into the next topic of the program. And I want you to comment on uh, some of the comments made uh, by Devin Bush. Uh, and, and let me let me bring these comments up here. And I, I think as my former experience as a head coach, again, I was not a pro coach. Um, and while I look for those comments, let me give you a couple of stats on the Steelers running game. That the Steelers have given up the most 20 plus running plays in the National Football League, 17. They only gave up six in 2019 and 10 in 2020. So that tells you 
kind of where their running game is and why that's such a difficult thing going up against a Tennessee team that wants to run the football. Let me it, give you the – go ahead, Dan. Sorry, I, I was just going to say that the, the stark increase of that over the last two years speaks directly to the injuries that they've had. They, they, they signed Alu Alu. He's only played, what, like eight games in two years for him. Can't yeah, get cool. anything from Tua out of this season. Um, they invested premium uh, capital – into a defensive line and two thirds of it has been out for the, the, the majority of um, the, the last, you know, certainly this season and dipping into last year. So it's, it's tough. You can see where a lot of that comes from, but I, I can't help but call out the inside linebackers to that Lance. I mean, it, not that that's everything, but if you watch the film in a vacuum and you, you've talked about pedigree a lot in, on this show, if you watch the film in a vacuum, you have no idea uh, where Devin Bush was drafted, what was given up for Devin Bush. If you saw him, there is no way in the world you're not wondering why he's still in the game. There, there has to be somebody better than than what you're seeing from Devin Bush. Um, I, not that he was on the field for a good chunk of, of last season when they gave up big plays, but he's been terrible this season, and that, that's a huge part of it. It's not hard to isolate him. It's not hard to remove him from plays. And a, a lot of the struggle they're seeing is is the result of that. It's not hard to take Devin Bush out of the game. You know, I was going to digress into another topic, and I love your segue in talking about Devin Bush as we get ready to talk about his quote. And the funny thing is I'm looking at overthecap.com, and I do not see Stefan to its contract. It's in it's he's on IR. They don't list it on the active roster. Ah, okay, so they're not listing it. So I, I I wanted to see what his cap number. And I'm gonna ask you a question. A <laughs> uh, I'm gonna ask. No, well, his, his cap number was reduced. They restructured him at the end of camp last year. Keep that they, in mind. And you're absolutely right because I looked in 2022 to see uh, what it was. His cap number this year was 8.6. Let me ask you one quick question before I get into the quote for Devin Bush. His cap number next year in 2022 is 13.9, which is basically 14 million. If they were to cut him pre-June 1, uh, the dead money charge would be 9.6. The cap savings would be 4.2. If they did a post-June 1 cut of him, um, the cap savings would be, it kind of be flipped. They have 9 million in cap savings and 5 million in dead money. He's 29 years of age. Is he playing next year for the Steelers? I don't know. Um, that's the, the fulcrum uh, uh, split between active and dead money. Uh, releasing him, what that means is that the dead charge that goes against him is money that he has already been paid and they have to account for as soon as they release him. So, And he has, let me add this, Neil, and he has three voidable years in 2023, 24, and 25. That's kind of the weird thing with Tuit's contract. They, they set it up as such um, – the, the restructuring they gave him was to clear up some space this year and the void deal, which was something that if you look at over the cap, um, it wasn't announced necessarily, but every move the Steelers made was a void deal with, with players that doesn't necessarily tie them to the team in the future. It gives them the ability to wear down the penalty a little bit now and be okay with, with picking up the check next year. If the player is not on the team, otherwise I would say, restructuring the player all but guarantees he's going to be on the team the next year. Uh, the reality is right now, I, I have no idea. It, it's really hard to say, but it, therein lies your answer too. Uh, it's 50-50. We don't yeah. know. 
And I, I think yeah. that's exactly the way to, to approach to it right now. Obviously, he's not playing this season. Um, if he is, it'd be kind of weird that, that he jumps in this late. He may as well just sit the rest of it out. But um, I would say that that's it's going to be up to it. And I think come March, you, you see where everything is. Uh, we don't know anything about him. That's really it. Uh, we don't know if there is an injury that, that we're dealing with here. We don't know if it's a mental issue. Uh, it, it, it seems likely that it's a combination of all of those things. So they have the ability to release him and move on and pay a little bit for that. They do not have a good uh, opportunity where they sit to replace him. That's yes. really the main thing. Um, yeah, that, I that, like what Chris Warmley is doing. I think they probably do as well. There's some value in, in Warmley's play, I think. Um, Alu-Alu is the one that you need to worry about. They don't have a, a, a solid you know, one, three-technique player going alongside with Cam Hayward on, to, to flank the, the middle if they want to pinch in the edge, which is what they've done uh, probably over the last four or five years now. Um, they need to find another starting level uh, defensive lineman, and that's going to have to come in free agency. So and if you're cutting draft. to it, you're, you're holding him without playing for the second year in a row and, and tacking on a good chunk of cap space to do it. And you have to now pay somebody else to come in and do it. You've got Wormley. That helps, you know, but I, I still think you need somebody uh, inside to not make up for to it, but to round out the absence of another quality veteran player there. It, it's money they're going to have to spend in free agency. And if you put that along with to it, you're getting one player for what? Probably $12, 13000000 million cap hit for the position that wears you down as a team that that can be kind of tough. You want to avoid those situations. I'm not sure if you could have with to it. I don't think they could have anticipated the situation that they're in now no. um, and, and restructuring them to some degree helped. Although I did think, and we talked about this a bunch, they didn't need to restructure to it to get Watts deal done yet. They did. And they're carrying more money. Uh, in, 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 they're carrying more cap space right now than they have in any season that I can remember. So you put all that together, you're not sure what their plan is with to it or why they restructured him. Uh, it could be to just kind of take some of it now, but put the brunt into next year when they know they're going to release him and not release him now. Yeah, he, he, it's 50-50. I think you're right. To put a bow on it, when your dead money charge of getting a post-June 1 cut is only $5 million, uh, you know, that's danger. That's danger, Will Robinson, that that number is big enough the next year. But yeah, you know, that number isn't big enough to protect you. Yeah. Um, you know, they can eat that and move on from you. And we'll see what Stefan to it. He's a very good player. And hopefully whatever his issues are, they will be resolved. Let's jump into the quote uh, for Devin Bush. And he said the following this week when he was interviewed. I don't know who by who, but he was in an interview and he said the following. I think I'm still the same player. I feel I'm still the same player. I know I'm the same player. Obviously, nobody on the Steelers is playing up to up to their potential. Nobody is playing good football. I'm not going to single myself out. And let me give you my comments before you give your comments, Neil. As a parent and as a former coach, what you hope in tough situations is that your child or your players are accountable. And I found these comments odd that he tried to deflect because his father is a former football player. So from a pedigree standpoint, I think he understands with a dad that used to play in the NFL, what it means to be a pro or, or what a pro looks like 
and how pros are accountable to their performance first, then the team. Most of the time when you hear more mature players, and it speaks to his maturity, they they deflect away from the team and absolve they don't absolve themselves they absorb all of the attention and put it on themselves and it starts with i haven't been playing well i need to play better if i play better hopefully we will play better but it starts with me i have to improve my game i've got to study better be more prepared be on my p's and q's and hopefully i can lead by example and if I improve and I play better, we can play better. If you're listening, you noticed I said I like seven times. You have to say I. And I was astonished by the lack of personal responsibility in his role, in his play. But I had to take a step back and say, wow, he's young. And that leads me to the comments that Mike Tomlin said. Uh, when he was asked about Chase Claypool in the press conference. And he kind of related it to all the young guys. When he said, we don't wait for stuff like that to happen to address it. That's built into our two-minute teachings and team development. Obviously, he had a misstep being Claypool in that area. He had missteps in other areas. He's a young guy that's growing and developing in a lot of ways. That has to that can't happen fast enough for him and it can't happen fast enough for us. There's growth and development that has to take place. And he also talked about just how these players don't come to you as complete players, that there is a maturity part of it. That's a part of the teaching of being a coach and having been a head coach. I found that to be the most difficult thing. Teaching the game was the easy thing. The other stuff was the hard stuff, the soft skill stuff, and getting them to buy into your vision, to be accountable, and to be mature. And I think that's the thing that we as fans don't recognize is happening at the same time this fast train is moving. But I was pretty astonished by Devin Bush's comments and the lack of accountability that was leaping off the page. We all suck. Just don't look at me. I was like, wow, he's deflecting. Something's going on there. What's your thoughts about his comments and Tomlin's comments? His comments in response to Tomlin's comments, which are not letting him off the hook, but not allowing um, the perception to exist that Tomlin doesn't believe in his player. And and Tomlin does that a lot. And I, I think that's generally good. First off, media soundbites, it, it's not congressional testimony. They don't need to be honest. They don't need to tell you the truth. They tell you what they want you to hear. Um, towing the line between acting like I know as much as Keith, Keith Butler does about football and being Joe Sweatsock moron on, on Twitter can be difficult sometimes. I'm trusting what I know of the game, which admittedly is not on the level of, of an NFL coach in any way, shape, or form, I'm trusting enough to know there is no reasonable way anybody can tell me that Devin Bush is the same player he was before he got hurt. I don't care what he said, okay? He's not. 
He doesn't have to admit that. I don't blame him. I'm not going to walk up in front of people and let them make a joke out of me either. I, I, that's an old school approach. You brought up his dad. I would say if anything, his dad probably would have the same mindset. But if you take a cue from the leader of the team, Ben Roethlisberger, if Ben played a great game and they lost, Ben would immediately blame himself. He would say, it's up to me. I have to do this. I have to be better. Blah, 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 blah. All of that. That's the right soundbite. That's the right thing to say. There's a pride, a level of pride and a level of ego that comes with all of this. Okay, that that's fair. I get it. The younger players have a tough time just accepting that that's the way that it is. And I think that's sort of what Bush is probably guilty of here. The reality is I, I don't give a frog's fat ass what Devin Bush is saying to the media. It's on film. He is not the same player. He doesn't play with confidence. He shies away from piles. He's not making individual tackles. He just isn't. That That's his season. Is not. Okay? That That's, that's Devin Bush right now. For him to hide behind, well, it's all of us, that's bullshit. I, that I can't stand. I won't tolerate that. You did not need to say that. They asked you specifically about your part. You can talk about your part. If you don't want to, don't say anything at all. Exactly. All right? You can't have it both ways. You are either the, the coward who won't speak to the problem. And that or takes you are maturity the guy that's owning up. Yeah, exactly. And that takes maturity All to know this, what not to say. Getting to the point of, of Mike Tomlin, I think that's exactly the point that Tomlin is making. These guys are young. They're stupid. They are not professionally mature. And we know that. We will deal with that. What Chase Claypool did in that situation, um, just to, to dovetail off to that really quick, and I'll bring it back to Bush uh, for this reason. What Claypool did in that situation was categorically stupid. There's no excuse for it. There's clearly a problem there. I understand that. I also understand young people do dumb things. Professionally immature people do dumb things in, in big moments, which is what Claypool did. He also made some pretty big professional plays in that game. All good things. Learning moment. That comes with the nature of the National Football League. I think Mike Tomlin's been around long enough to know that. Not a good thing, though. Bush, as is being blasted to us in the comments, I understand what Vince Williams is saying. I will also say that Vince Williams has a, a, a particular axe to grind over everything right now. And to, to suggest Bush is not capable of doing more than he is, I don't think is fair. I think Williams is speaking to the less reasonable faction of the fan base, people that are screaming at him to cut him and he's a bum, he's a washout. I don't think that's fair. You guys have heard me. If you've listened to the show, you heard me back in March saying, I'm not sure how long it's going to take for Devin Bush to get ready. But just it, just being ready for training camp is not him being done. It's taken a lot longer than I thought that it would. Maybe he needs another year. I don't know what they're going to do with his option. I just know that right now he is a not player. He, he's not getting the job done. And his lack of accountability in speaking to the media makes me wonder when that's going to happen, if that's going to happen. Because to me, Lance, honestly, he sounds like a, stu a, a stubborn, spoiled brat more than anything else. Well, it's not just me. It's everybody. I don't, I don't care. I don't yeah, care if you think it's everybody. You yeah, are the one hurt. being asked the question. Why is yeah. Ben the only one that has to stand up? And keep in mind, this is the last rant I'll go on. Consider this my rant of the day. The fact that teams across the NFL, the Steelers in particular, are heavily, <clears throat> excuse me, heavily restricting <clears throat> player access, 
Um, guys like Bush are not being put in front of the media to speak, to answer questions, to be asked questions. But that's the first time Bush has spoken this season, isn't it? Yeah. They've hit yeah. him. They haven't yeah. let him be accountable to anything. So when he goes up there, you, you haven't been asked to speak to the media at all. You haven't been asked to do anything publicly. That's your excuse. That's what you're going to tell people. I'm sorry. That's bullshit. I, I can't I can't stand that. If you're no good on the field, fine. If you're out busting your butt and it doesn't work for you, fine. Totally get that. I have nothing but respect for you. You are a high pedigree player who is telling us with a straight face, you haven't changed as a player, which is a flat out lie. There's no way you've heard that from anybody. And on top of that all, you need to redirect that conversation to the rest of the team. No, not having it. That's to me. I, I don't pick up his option just for that. I can't win with a guy like that. I don't I don't give a shit what spot he was drafted in. I can't win with a guy like that. I'm going to go find somebody else. Yeah, and if and if they proceed with with Bush, a lot of things will have to happen. Uh, physically, he'll have to be right and better. He'll have to play better, and he'll have to be very accountable. I, I thought those statements were very damaging, but. You know, the growth and development, I think Tomlin is spot on. I mean, it's, it's, and that's the frustrating thing about having to depend on guys that are that young. I mean, that's that's exactly why you don't just go draft guys and throw them into the starting lineup either. You don't know how they're going to react. If you knew this was the pathway for Devin Bush, would you have traded up to 10 to get him? Absolutely not. No, you would have taken absolutely not. Yeah, you would have taken the kid from, or if you could have, you would have tried to identify, you know, if you uh, you would have taken took the other Devin. The first round, right? You know, most, so, you know, so, yeah, so it's just a struggle, and that's where there are, and that's what I think fans sometimes don't understand, is that is quite possibly the biggest element of coaching, is that other part, that soft skills part, part to get, t- you know, players to believe, believe the vision, believe they can be more to themselves, be professional, be accountable, you know, they're working on them, but as Tomlin said, this is too insulated right now. They're this is fast. Insulated. Like, this is fast. Like, this ha- has to happen. Uh, unlike your children, he doesn't have 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, 20 years to get it. He's got like 18 yep. months to get it. So, yeah, can, I, can I say this really quick, Lance? I, w- I want to tell a quick story in, in terms of accountability and the difference between the post-COVID era of the NFL, you want to call it post, but post-lockdown era and how it worked prior to that. I covered the Steelers-Ravens game, the Thursday night game that Mike Vick had to start that they lost in overtime after Josh Scobie missed an extra point in, what, two or three field goals? I Seven field goals. <laughs> Total in his career. That game, he completely melted down. We were allowed into the locker room, and who's the one person you think everyone wants to go talk to? Josh Scobie, guess who was sitting there by his locker? And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like saying these things. And I don't think it's fair. It's obvious he had been crying not long before that. And Josh Scobie's my age, okay? He was fully aware of how bad that was. And I sat there and listened to 900 of the same questions from everybody else in media as his hands were shaking listening to everybody. He answered every damn one of those questions. That's accountability. He got cut the next day and he never played in the NFL again. He knew damn well that was the end of his pro career. That was his retirement party. He sat and listened to every one of those questions. Did he say, well, it's on everybody who lost this game. It's everyone else's fault. You know, we had a lot of chances to score touchdowns. We just couldn't. Vic had to play. Ben couldn't play. So, 
you know, there's the fault of the Rams for hurting Ben too. He took accountability for his part of that loss. And yes, it was a big part. It was also as horrifying and embarrassing and public the end of a career as you could imagine for anybody. I'll remember that till the day I die. I have nothing but respect for Josh Scobie for sitting there and answering every one of those questions. Devin yeah. Bush has had to answer questions in the media once one this time. year, and that's the answer he came up with. And I'll, and, and I'll guarantee you, and I'll guarantee you, to Mike Tomlin's point, why Mike Tomlin's a great coach, this is the tough conversation you have to have yep. with Devin Bush because you have to tear him down while not tearing him down. You have to uh, you have to address the lack of accountability in a way that doesn't further tear him down because you still need him to play because you're still in the evaluation process. Yep. You still need to get through the season. And you, so, you built your team for him to play a thousand snaps. Yeah. Right? So Long, you did. Yeah. You know, you lost so, Vince, though. I mean, that, that, that plays into it as well. You know, that so they it's get a, another position that needed a backup plan in August. They didn't anticipate right. or expect. And so it's, a, it's just a tough job. And that's what Tomlin in part of his comments said, that's why we get paid a lot because it's football coach, uh, psychologist, uh, dad, uncle, brother. Uh, it's all types of stuff. Straight executioner because he's got to cut these guys too that he's grown a relationship with. So it's a definitely a tough job. But before we get out of here, the only thing I want to say in the Yeah, I Said It segment is be careful. You know, be careful uh, this holiday season if you're going to football games because hopefully you have gleaned that the National Football League, in terms of player safety, does not care about players. Um, you know, you can't have 23 players on a team tested positive for COVID and you want them to play a football game. You can't have another team that has 20 guys positive. It, it, it's it's you can't so pay them to not play either, Lance. Yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, a much t- more nuanced issue than that. Yeah, it's, it's much more of a nuance. But, you know, but but here's the thing: is it, it's still a, a health and safety issue. Um, and I know they don't want to reschedule games. I I know they don't want to do some of those things. Um, but what I'm saying is they have to play (laughs) because of, of what they're getting paid and what networks are making and what teams are making and all this different stuff, but just be safe out there and just be safe as fans, you know, in these stands in the holiday season. The pandemic is still raging. So I encourage all of you guys to be safe, you know, use your proper judgment so you can get through these holidays and and spend them with your family. It's been a tough couple of years. Don't make it tougher by somehow thinking you're invincible of some sort. Just, Just be smart so you can get through these holidays. But with that, we ran a little bit long. Love your Josh uh, Scobie story. I don't think you've ever told me that one, but that that's a true measure of, of accountability but with that we're going to get off uh and go ahead and conclude the show schedule again is changing a little bit we're going to do it on mondays we're still going to do it on thursdays but we're going to go a little bit later um, in terms of 8 a.m and 11 because of me being on vacation thank you neil for that but with that we're going to conclude the program and as always tune in tell a friend and subscribe